Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Well, before we get into this text today, I, I want to I pray. Um, and so if you would just pray with me today. I'm doing it a little different. I'm switching it up on you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're an awesome God. I thank you for your goodness. God, I just pray as we walk through uh, vision and we talk about what you're doing here at our church and uh, what you've laid on our hearts and for us to do in the city, God, I pray that you would go before us and that we will follow you. As the song says, we build our life on you, not on what we want, God, but on what you want for us. So God, use us for your glory, your glory alone. Let it not be about, about us, but about you. And God, as I speak today, hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up and your folks will hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we say all these things together. And everyone say it together. Amen, amen. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about vision. And I want to really focus particularly on that third prong of our vision, release. And um, as we're going into this, on the info table outside, we have some books that I would love for you to get in your hands. They're for sale. We'll just sell them at cost. They're called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Anybody heard of that book before? If you haven't heard of it, you need to get it. Some people would say that it's the 67th book of the Bible. I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) But it's an awesome book. It's talking about how Jesus made disciples and then how he sent them out and how those guys turned the world upside down. It's about 100 pages. I want you to get it in your hand. We have some out on the table. If we run out of them today, we will get some more because this is a resource we want to get in your hand. So as we go forward, I'm going to just say this too. Um, there's going to be more resources out there, things that I use as I'm studying, books that I'm reading that I want to get in your hands. So it, it, as we walk together, I want to be able to equip you with certain resources so you can walk outside of these four walls, Okay. So that's going to be on that back table. It's called the Master Plan of Evangelism. And we'd love for you to get that in your hands as you walk out today. Over the last couple of months, and uh, I've been praying a lot and just trying to see which direction God would lead us as a church and this spring. And I I did the state of a church, state of a church a few weeks ago. I think many of you guys were here when we walked through vision. We walked about what happened last year and and, and where we're going this year. And and we've seen a lot of growth. God has been doing a lot in our church since the beginning of the year. And it's been awesome to see. It's been a blessing. But I cannot, I, I can't help but continue to ask God the question, God, how should we grow? How do you want us to grow, God? What do you want us to do? Anybody ever ask God, what do you want me to do with my life, God? Where where do you want me to go? Maybe you're sitting there right now. As a church, I'm asking God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? And as I prayed over the last couple months, and I've been reading slowly through the book of Acts. I I love the book of Acts. I've just been reading through it slowly and how the first church started. And Lord kind of impressed upon my heart or prompted me in, in this direction of like, we not only need, and it's not rocket science, but we not only need to know what Jesus did for us, But we also now, in turn, because we know what he did for us, we need to live lives that bring glory to him. And I began to ask, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? Because here's the thing. I I really believe the church and Christians in general, we make this Christianity, this Christian living thing way too hard. We make it way too complicated. We make church way too difficult. We make it way too fancy. We, ha- we got to have the lights. 
We gotta have cameras, we gotta have action, you know, all of that. We gotta have the great worship, great preacher, all of this. We gotta have all of that. You gotta have the building. And when I look at the early church in the book of Acts, as I'm reading, y'all, they didn't have any of that. They had a room where they were hiding out. They didn't have any of that. It was just a bunch of sold-out dudes and women to the glory of Jesus Christ, which meant that everything that they did in their lives wasn't about them, but it was about him. No lights, no cameras, no great worship, no great building, just broken and poured out for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying all those things are wrong, but they didn't have any of that. Therefore, we don't have to have any of that to do church and be a community. See, what I'm trying to say is we make this thing way too complicated. It was, it, it was a bunch of people just sold out for him. So, so what I want us to do is I want to walk through our vision a bit this morning, and I, and I just want to, and my hope is to encourage you, but it's also to challenge you a bit. Challenge you a bit where we are in our walks with Jesus. Maybe we haven't started that. What does our life look like? What, what is Jesus calling us to do? Our vision here at Renewal, you may have heard it said before, but Renewal is to be a gospel-centered church that seeks the welfare of the city built on three different initiatives. Number one, we want to renew hearts by the power of the gospel. Number two, we want to rebuild lives through discipleship. And lastly, we want to release people for city and world impact. And today specifically, as I said before, I want to talk about this third prong of our vision, which is releasing people for city and world impact. Because when a church, hear me, when the church and Christians actually get this part, when they understand what Jesus did in their life, that they're called according to his purpose, not their own purpose, you know what happens? We change the world. See, when the disciples got this vision, when they got what Jesus had called them to do and he sent them out, y'all, they flipped the world upside down. But before we get into that, let me, let me just share a few moments with you, just recap our two initiatives, these first two parts of our vision, renewing hearts by the power of the gospel and rebuilding lives through discipleship. So walk with me a little bit. The call to renew is a call to the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that God saw us and he loved us. He loves us in the midst of our sin. He sees us in our sin. He saw our total depravity, saw that there was nothing good in us, meaning even when we have good intentions, there's usually some kind of selfish motivation underneath those. It's never really truly good or about God. He saw us, this separation between us and him. And what does he do? Even in the midst of our depravity, he chooses to love us and sends his son Jesus down here for us. See, this is the gospel. Jesus renews all things. The call to renew is the call to live out the gospel in everything we do, which means that we should, re, we should, we should be bringing renewal to our marriages, bringing renewal to our community, to our neighborhoods, to, to our families, and, and beyond. Our jobs should look different because we know Jesus. See, we live to bring the renewing power of the gospel to every area of our lives. The gospel is not rocket science, but we make it out to be. We make it very complicated, and that said, the call to renew is a call not to a strategy, but family, it's a call back to what God did through Jesus as the only hope for this fallen world. Friends, some, some of you have heard me say this before, but, but the gospel is the only solution to bring a renewal to Chicago. True, lasting renewal, it's the everlasting power that Jesus demonstrated when he hung on that cross with those nails in each one of his hands and nails in his feet, bleeding out for us, sins that he didn't commit. Jesus taking all of those to the cross, and then he takes them to the grave. Three days later, he rises from the grave with 
power in his hands. And guess what? He gives us that same power through the Holy Spirit in our lives, working within us. So now we can go out and change the world the same way he did. See, see, that's the gospel. That's renewal. It's us having the same spirit and bringing that same renewal to a broken world. But see, what believers ultimately fail to realize is that when we come to a saving relationship with Jesus, that's not the end goal. A lot of times we just stop there. I believe in Jesus, and now Christianity becomes a part of your file cabinet. Go to church. I go to group. This is Jesus. Everything else is my life. See, Jesus has not just saved us, you and me, for ourselves. But instead, we've been saved in order to share this truth about Jesus with others. See, we share the truth with others and hope that more will be changed. What we see in the scriptures when we read our Bible is that Jesus doesn't just renew hearts, but he rebuilds lives through discipleship. That's the second part of our vision. Discipleship is where believers pour lives out, their lives out on other faithful people, and those faithful people go out and do the same thing with other people. It's gospel multiplication. Instead of addition, bringing people into a church, we're sharing our lives with other people who go do the same thing with other people. We live in a fallen world where even those of us that have been called according to his purpose, we've experienced the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. We, we struggle not to go back to those things that we were saved from. We struggle, even though we know him, we struggle not to go backwards. So the question becomes, well, how do we counteract that? How do I not go backwards? You see, the answer is through being rebuilt. It's through discipleship. It's through by walking in community with other believers, too. It's by walking and doing life with people who love Jesus. Now, Renewal, hear me when I say this. Rebuilding, it takes time. Discipleship takes time. It, it's hard. It's not easy. Most of us, this is why we don't enter in discipleship relationships or community with one another, because it's tough. Because when we look at ourselves and like, I got problems, and I'm supposed to walk through your issues with you? You are jacked up. I thought I was messed up, but you jacked up. I mean, I can't do this. Don't we think that? Don't act like y'all don't think that in your heads. I'm messed up. You messed up. We're supposed to be better together. Come on now. <laughs> it don't make sense. But family, hear me. When it's done right, when it's done, done right, when discipleship's done right, when community's done right, I really believe we get to enjoy what the disciples did those three years with Jesus, sharing life together, talking shop together, eating together, meeting together, and serving together all to the glory of God and sharing his fame amongst the nation. I mean, to rebuild is discipleship, but simply being discipled is not enough. Simply being in community is not enough. There was this old crusade adage. If you've ever been involved with Campus Crusade, they say that the discipleship without evangelism is just counseling. Therefore, what that means is if you know what you know, but you don't share with anybody, it means nothing. This brings us to what I want to talk about today which is this call to be released. See, after Jesus renewed and rebuilt his disciples with the transforming power of the gospel, he then released them to do the same work in the lives of other people around them. And here at Renewal Church, my desire, our leadership's desire, is that we, we would equip our people so well that there would be this feeling of sentness among them, if you may. 
this feeling that, that I have to share, I need to share what Jesus has done in my life. We want everybody to see themselves as missionaries where they can't help but to share the goodness of Jesus Christ in their homes, in their communities, at their schools, at their jobs, with their families, and beyond. Hear me. Jesus' message of the gospel didn't make an impact until his disciples were really released into the world. Jesus touched some lives, he healed some people, things of that nature. But once Peter stands up on that mountain, he gives a sermon. Within minutes, 3,000 people get saved. The church doubles, it keeps going. Then you see churches planted all over the place. He doesn't just save them and give them the Holy Spirit in order for them to be good by themselves, but it's, in, it's for them to go out, take this goodness to the world. See, we want this feeling of sentness among our people as we're released not only into Chicago, but to the other ends of the world so we can see this world change for the glory of Jesus Christ. And family, it's not through human schemes, but it's through the all-encompassing power of Jesus at working in us. This brings us to this question. I've asked it before, but it begs the question, what does your life look like? Say, I'm a Christian, but what, what is... What does your life look like? Gypsy Smith, he, a deceased British evangelist, he says, that he puts it this way. I love this quote. He says, there's five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And some people will never read the first four. Think about it. Some of y'all get that on the way out. But family, that's it. And don't get it all mixed up and, and, and sit there and say, Pastor D's radical. I, I, I know some of y'all Bible thumpers in here and, and say, oh, it's not five synoptic gospels. It's only four. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying there's another gospel, family. There's no other book of the Bible called the Christian. That, that's not in the Bible. That's not, it's not called the Christian. But what he's really getting at is what Jesus says to us in John chapter 13 after he washes the disciples' feet. Look at it with me. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, don't miss this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What if you have love for one another? Hear me, family. Jesus is really hitting at the same thing Gypsy Smith says, where he says, if people can't look at you and see that you're different and say there's something about them that's different, and I want that family, if they can't look at your life and say that's different, they will never pick up a Bible. Sometimes the only book people will read is your life. People have to see our lives. We're renewed by the gospel, rebuilt through discipleship, and then we're released into the world to hopefully bring people more into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Our lives should point people to Jesus, not to us. So today we're going to briefly look at this passage, a passage that I really love. And I've talked about here before, but I keep coming back to it. And it's this encounter that Isaiah has with uh, God in Isaiah 6. Verses 1 through 8, you get this narrative of a prophet, Isaiah, whose, whose life has changed. It's changed dramatically when one encounter with God where he sees his sin, but then he says, there's other people out there that are messed up just like me. And he's sent out to share the good news with them. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me there in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And once you get it, go ahead and stand to your feet with me.
Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, and the text reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Boy, that's scary. And, 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 and one called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. The very word of God. Amen. You can take your seat. Family, I just read the whole passage of Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, just for contextual sake, but we're really going to focus on verse 8, where he says, with us, if you look at it with me, he says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. I love this passage, family, but when you just merely read over it, it you really don't get the full effect. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your imagination caps on. I want you to go with me in this passage as we look at this a little bit more. I mean, Isaiah has this encounter with God where he sees him high and lifted up. All of his majesty, it says the train of his robe, almost think of a wedding dress. It's filling the temple as if it's filling this whole room. You can't, you're swimming through the train of his robe. It's, it's filling this whole room. And then it says a seraphim that are flying all around, fiery creatures. These are fiery angelic beings. They're on fire. Six wings, feet, face. I mean, scary. They're flying around and they're singing. It says that the thresholds of the temple are shaking. That means this whole building is shaking as God is speaking. Could you imagine being in a place with all this going on? Y'all, I would be freaking out, screaming, yelling, like, what in the world is going on? Isaiah is, is getting, he's getting experience, God, in all of his fullness. It's glory. I mean, it's all right in front of him. Again, all of this is happening at the same time. Could you imagine? Isaiah is most likely, he's, he's trembling. I mean, his teeth are chattering. I mean, he's, he's, he probably peed on himself. I mean, all of this is going on. Y'all, but he ain't going to say that in the text because ain't nobody about to write about peeing. And I saw God and I peed on myself, you know. <laughs> Not, no, nobody's going to do that. I mean... I'm trying to give you a picture. I'm pretty sure this dude is afraid right now. All of this is happening. But then Isaiah says something so profound. He sees all of this, and he understands really what's going on, and he says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Family, do you see what's happening here? 
Here's the truth, and some of you heard me say this before, but when we truly have an encounter with God, where we see him all-powerful, lifted up, and we see ourselves in his midst, family, our, our response shouldn't be, I think I can, I think I can, kind of like the engine that could, I think I can do it, or, or, or I can make it, I, I, need to God, I need God to see me work a little bit harder, I can do this, I can do this, I can make it happen. No, 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 that's not our proper response when we come in contact with God. Our proper response should be, I know I can't do anything, God, I can't do it on my own, I've tried it, and I need you, God. I'm yours. This is what we see happening in this text. And what does God do when Isaiah responds to him? He, he realizes that he, he saves Isaiah. I mean, the seraphim, it comes to him and it says he touched his mouth with a hot coal and cleanses him. You know, I, I was sitting by the fire in my house last night. I'm looking at these hot coals. I'm like, ain't no way. Takes, takes a hot coal and, and cleanses him. Says, your sin is taken away. God takes away his sin. And I love what happens next. God says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, this is Isaiah. He says, here I am, God. Send me. This is what I want to talk about briefly. As we break down this idea of being released, and I'm not going to capture everything here in the text of being released, but... I do want to give you somewhat of a biblical perspective and what it could look like. There's two things I really want to talk about. Number one, I want to talk about God's question in the text. And number two, I want to talk about how we should respond. I want to look at God's question, and I want to look at how we should respond. God says, who will go for us? God's not asking this question because he's, he's hopeless and he's like, I don't have anybody to go for me. Who's going to go for us? No, this is God. God can do whatever he wants, however he wants to, with whoever he wants to. He's God. He can do all of this. This is who he is. So he's not asking this question like, I don't have anybody. He's asking this question specifically in Isaiah's midst because Isaiah has just had this incredible experience with God where God has washed him clean. See, I believe God asked this question because he wants to see how Isaiah will respond. He wants to see if Isaiah, who once was unclean, but now clean, now will serve a holy and righteous God. Now, now hear me, y'all. Don't, don't, don't get this wrong. Like, God is not like one of your friends or something where you do something for them and then they hold it over your head like I ain't doing nothing else until you, until you, until you, until you repay me. Y'all know the dude you gave some 15 years ago like, man, and, and, and then you say, can you do this for me? Man, you know, no, no, you remember, you remember I did that for you 15 years? Man, that was 15 years ago. Y'all ever have somebody in your life like that just hold something over your head over and over again? Maybe it's your father, maybe it's your mother. Maybe it was a, a, a friend, like, they won't do it. Every time something comes up, man, you remember I did that for you. Man, leave me alone. See, that, that's not what God, that's not who he is in this text. He's not like your friend. He's not like your parents. He doesn't hold it over your head. God is not like that. God gives, and watch this, he knows we don't have anything really to return that he doesn't already have. But he still gives. God's infinite. He's outside of time, and he's always, including right here in this passage, seeing the big picture. What do I mean by this? God recognizes that Isaiah already has a heart for the people. I mean, let's look back at verse 5, our passage. Look at it, how it reads. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. Here it is. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah just 
he, 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 notice, he does, doesn't notice his faults or his sin, but he notices the people and their faults in their sin. This is before he's cleansed. Don't miss it. God already knew that Isaiah had a heart for the people before he cleansed them. One, because Isaiah says it right here. But then two, because God made Isaiah in his image, according to Genesis 1.26, where it talks about let us, us the Trinity, make men in our image. Then you flip to John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. He says this, all things were made through him, and without him not anything that was made was made. In him was the life, and life was the light of men. Now, don't miss these truths. Because if the Bible is true, including these two verses, which I really believe it is, then I would argue that once we come to understand we were made originally to bring glory to God, not to ourselves, but to God, but instead we sinned and we rebelled against God, we turned the other way, then Jesus himself, recognizing that we've done that, can't live up to the holy standard God set before us, he steps out of heaven with a human suit on, wrapped in flesh, comes down here, dies the death that we should die on the cross, family, and when we believe we have eternal life, when we really understand what Jesus has done for us, when we really understand the goodness of God, then we willingly say, just like Isaiah, here I am, send me too. You know why? Because we realize he's been nothing but good to us. See, friends, but what, what's happening in this passage is Isaiah has become renewed. He's been made clean. He's seen God for who he is in all his majesty, where he's recognized his puniness or his insignificance in the midst of an almighty God and says, woe is me. And because of that, he's now able to be used. Friends, God asked this question to Isaiah because Isaiah was ready. Let me pause and let me ask you this question before I go any further. Are you ready? Are you ready and at a place where you're able to be used by God. What I mean is, have you come to the realization or seen the vastness of God's glory, that he's, uh, he's, he's matchless, he's uncontainable, he's all-powerful, and in his midst, we're really nothing. But yet, he still cares for us. He still chooses to save us. I mean, do you know that? You know, he cares for you because if we don't realize who God is and how he cares for us, y'all, we're really not able to be used. The great William Wilberforce, he understood this, where, where he's once a man that, that hung out in gentlemen's clubs and he, he also was a man that, 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 that gambled all his money away as a politician. But soon after having an experience with God, he would change the trajectory of his life, and he'd write these words. God Almighty has set before me two great objectives, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. See, Wilberforce was so impacted by the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ in his life that he couldn't bear to look at another human being as less than because he knew his mess. He knew all the things that he had done and how he had been saved from it. He knew the sacrifice that was given on his behalf. So for the next 18 years of his life, what does he do? 
He said he would not rest until the slave trade was abolished, it's outlawed, it's outlawed in 1808. And then he would not stop until slavery itself would be outlawed in Britain. And on his deathbed in 1833, just three days before he passed away, he would hear that slavery had been outlawed in Britain. Friends, here's my point. When we embrace the glorious message of what Jesus has done for us, it allows us to see the depravity of our own existence and compels us not to love ourselves more, but to love others more. It compels us to love him, hopefully pointing other people to him more. See, we should respond to the gospel not only with, woe is me, woe is me, you did this for me, but also, send me. Send me, God. Use me. This is why Isaiah, without hesitation, says, here I am, God, send me. Here I am, send me, which brings me to the second thing I want to talk about is our response. Y'all, you got to pay attention to his response. Isaiah responds quickly in this text without hesitation. Isaiah has no idea what God is about to ask him to do, which is evidence of a renewed heart, because if we don't know who God is, we're definitely not going to follow him. And even if we do, we're probably still going to have some questions for God. Like, God, what are you, what are you trying to do with me? Where, where, where are you taking me? Where are we going, God? And you know why? Because you're really concerned with yourself and what's happening in yourself, not really his glory. It, 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 we're doubting the fact that he cares for us. We're doubting his goodness. God, God where, where are you taking me, God? Isaiah doesn't ask any of those questions. And hear me, hear me. if we're truly going to be released, we, it can't be about us. Because we're going to be highly disappointed in our walks with Jesus. I mean, we're going to be really highly disappointed because, y'all hear me, there's no glory in the work of the ministry. No, no, you, you don't get rich. You, you, you don't, you're not necessarily going to prosper from living right with God. Now, I'm not saying that some people won't because you will. Some people will, and some people will take advantage of the, the gospel and, and spread it for their own self-gain. That, that happens, but hear me, that's between them and God later on. It, but, 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 and, and hear me, this does not mean that you can't live a comfortable life and you can't have money. My question is, what are you doing with what God gave you? How are you stewarding it? How are you using it for his glory and not your own? How are we being released? Because if we're truly released, that means it's for God's good, not necessarily for our good, because our good isn't here, it's with him in heaven. I mean, family, hear me. We notice in this text that, that, that Isaiah does not focus inwardly when God says, who will I send? I paused here while I'm reading this, as I'm telling you right now, because it's very easy for us to focus on ourselves. When we come to Jesus, God, I need this. I need you to save me here. I need you to do this. I need you to do that in my life. It's all about us when we come to the Lord. But, but the problem with this is that when God calls us to do something, when he calls us to himself, when he, when he tells us to go somewhere, it's almost never about us. I mean, it's really not about us. As a believer, y'all, here's the truth. I could die tomorrow. And guess what? I gain more tomorrow than I ever would in a lifetime here on this earth. Because I will live with my Father in heaven. And you know what that means? No sorrow, no pain, no tribulation, no trials, no division, no corrupt politicians, no, no mess, no murders, no crime, no nothing. I will be with God in heaven forever and ever. I gain more if I die. 
But as a believer, as I sit here on this earth, I know it's not for my good because my good's there. So I live my life and I share my life in hopes to point other people to him so they could have that same hope when they die. Friends, we live in a city that's hurting. We live in a city that's in need with one of the highest crime and murder rates in the world. Crooked politics, division across. We're called the Windy City because our politics are so messed up. Division across socioeconomic and racial lines, broken homes, one of the highest homeless rates in the nation. We could keep going. Then we got Fortune 500 companies all over the place, but yet all this brokenness. Friends, every day the plight of our city is, is staring us in the face. And the sad thing about it is that we can keep on going on about our lives because of the pace of this city and not noticing a thing wrong. Tunnel vision, my next accolade, my next success, my next ladder to climb. And we, don't, we miss everything that the Lord might be calling us to do, everything that he might be calling us to be released. And whether that's at your job, your home, your community, we're missing it all because it's all about me. We're missing it. Friends, every day it's staring us in the face. And as believers, we should be praying. We should be earnestly hurting about what's happening here. And praying day and night for God to move and to use us for his glory in this world. Whether that be working with organizations like GRIP or Breakthrough or we're serving the homeless or serving fatherless youth in the city. I mean, whatever it may be. Maybe it's starting a Bible study at your job or in your community. It's not waiting on the church to do it. He's called you as a believer to do it too. So what does that look like for you to be released? What does it look like to impact the people around you? We're called to meet the needs of others. And how can we hear, and this may be tough for you, but how can we really call ourselves Christians who follow a man who gave his life for everybody else, not for himself? And we're not doing it ourselves. I mean, think about that. I mean, Christ came not only to meet our needs and serve us, but then he dies the death that we're supposed to die on the cross. And we say we follow him. Now, I'm not coming at anybody individually. I'm just saying, how do we really say we're Christians if there's not this earnest, compel, compelling spirit in within, within us to go out and share our lives with other people? There should be a burden. I mean, think about it. And think about it. This, this, this last week, I'm pretty sure you came in contact with somebody. Maybe you walked past somebody on the street or even at your work, somebody that was maybe in need. Maybe even somebody you considered an enemy. You're just going about your day, and you see them. Let me ask you, could you die for them? I mean, really, a person that given a chance might disrespect you, might spit on you, could literally kill you. I mean, think about that, that because that's exactly what Christ did for us. I mean, he, all of this happened to him to the point where he was killed for not his own good, not for things that he did, but for things that we have done to him. Die for the past, present, and future sins. I mean, think about that. And here in our passage, you see Isaiah experienced God. He doesn't hesitate when God calls him to do something, and this is without him knowing 
what there is for him to do. I mean, family, hear me. When we come to understand what God has done for us, it should make us move. And friends, Isaiah, y'all hear me. He's not about to go deliver some flowery message. Hence, when we're called to go, when we're released, it's not easy. I'm not telling you to go as if it's just going to be easy and all hunky-dory. It's not. I mean, Isaiah is about to go say something to the nation of Israel, and believe me, it's not that God loves you. Basically, he gets to proclaim God's discipline to them because of their disobedience. I mean, up to this point, God has, has continued to call, has continued to bring Israel back to himself over and over again. He's continued to save them from the things that they've done and, and, and the things they've done against God. He's continually come back to them over and over again. He's not ceased to be good to them. I mean, he brought them out of Egyptian captivity when they were in need. He fed them manna in the wilderness when they needed it. When they asked for a king, God's like, here you go. Over and over again, God continually looks out for them. But here's Isaiah and he's telling him to go proclaim to them that no longer will all of y'all be saved. Only a remnant of you, a small portion of you, will be saved. And get this, it's not because God doesn't love them. It's because of what they've done to themselves, and God allows them, go ahead, keep on going, go on, keep, keep running after your idols, keep running after the things that you want. It's not because God doesn't love them. I mean, friends, this is not a message I would like to go tell somebody. You, I wouldn't want to tell somebody this message, hey, yo, yo, you know, God promised you that house, that car, you know, if you just followed him, God, God's going to get you to the promised land. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, about that. You ain't getting nothing. It's not happening anymore. Yo, I would not want to tell somebody this message. This is not something that, 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 that's flowery, that, that, that I want to go do. That's not easy. He has to go tell these people this hard message. I mean, in verse 11, my man is like, God, how long do I got to do this? God, how long do I have to tell people this message? And God says, until the people left seem like a stomp in the middle of a burnt down forest. Oh, my gosh. Friends, I say all this to say because, and I don't want y'all to miss it, being released and living for the glory of God is not easy. I mean, it's not easy being a student where you want to live for God on campus, but all your friends around you are smoking, drinking. I mean, they're getting high, partying all day, and you're like, man, I just want to live for Jesus. I, I want to do this thing right. It's not, it's not easy to live that type of life when everybody around you is not doing the same thing. It's not easy to be in a relationship trying to glorify God and not sleeping together, not having sex and living together when everyone around you is saying, man, just have fun in your relationship. Go ahead and take a test drive in the car before you buy it. I mean, some of y'all know what I mean. It's not easy. It's not easy to be in the marketplace working and, and trying to live for and pursue God in all that you do instead of just climbing up the success ladder, getting more money. But you know why we do this as believers? You know why believers do this? Because number one, you know what Jesus did for you. And number two, it's like I said in the beginning, there's always someone looking at your life. You're a believer? Okay, I'm a watch. They're always looking at your life. And like I said, you may be the only Bible that they read. 
maybe the only way that really triggers their heart to move to want them to see God more. God can use you, and he wants to use you. Jesus says, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love God with all your soul, mind, soul, soul, mind, strength, and your heart. And and secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Y'all hear me, when God saves us, it's really never really about just us. He's he's called us to be believers and allows us to see him and his goodness, his grace and salvation, just like Isaiah, not just for ourselves, but for us to share with other people. Y'all, as I end, look at this. Isaiah has to go, and he, he relays this hard message. It has nothing to do with him. Nothing. It has everything to do with the lives of the people around, and we have to understand this truth. God, God gives him eyes to see him holy, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. And here's the thing. When God gives us that, when he allows us to see him that way, our proper response is to be like Isaiah. Fall on our faces. Woe is me. But secondly, it's to say, God, use me. Use me for your glory, for your good, and your good only. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to be released, to impact the city, and see a world changed. That's what he's doing. So let me end with these two questions. Has the gospel of what Jesus done in your life or on your behalf really impacted you? Has it impacted your life? And if so, will you join me in Renewal Church in being released to see this city and ultimately this world change for his glory? Those are the two questions. Has he changed you? Has it really impacted your life? And if so, will you join us as a church? Will you join the church and see this world change for his glory? Send me, Isaiah says. Let's say the same thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're good. God, I pray that we would hear heed and hear your call to go out to share your goodness with the world that needs to know you that we wouldn't just be consumed with ourselves what's going on in our own lives but we know that you've called us according to your purpose God and that's a good purpose for others to know the same truth we have in you, the same hope we have in you, God. Let us experience some of that fruit even here on this earth. The joy of being able to see other brothers and sisters walk with you, including ourselves. God, I pray that we never forget your goodness in our lives. It's how you love us, too. As we come to this table this morning, God, let us remember your sacrifice and all that you've done for us on our behalf. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh-huh.